Hello and welcome to Tea and Chat, the British English podcast that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Hello English learners and welcome to today's episode. This episode is usually where I pick out a lifestyle article for you and discuss it because the things that you find in lifestyle articles are usually quite funny. What I mean by that is that they usually differ in their style of writing and message if you were to compare them to regular news articles. As you know, a news article is usually quite formal, but when you find something in the lifestyle article, you can see usually some more informal language used. So I think it's better to discuss that because it's more real to life and a bit more like uh, the kind of things that we would discuss in our everyday conversation and the language that we would use in everyday conversation. So essentially the article that I picked for today is related to the previous decade because now with 2020 fast approaching, Uh, we will be entering a new decade. So just to clarify, a decade is 10 years. So when we enter 2020, it will be a new decade. And um, I don't know if that means anything to you. Uh, It doesn't really mean anything to me, but it's usually a good way to mark historical events. We usually look back on the past, in particular the past 100 years, in the way of decades. So we look at the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and we usually have some kind of image that comes to mind for each of those decades. So perhaps they all have a different significant meaning to you. Often I think they're quite defined by the music of that era. And then just by the music, you might be able to tell something of the culture that existed in that time. And of course, that really differs from country to country also, but there are some similarities that I think are across the board that make it a little bit easier for us to discuss the history of that time and have some kind of expectation of what it was like to live in those decades. So it's quite strange to think about what defines your current decade, the decade that you are living in now. Um, If I think back to the noughties, The noughties is what we call the decade before this one. (laughs) It sounds very strange because another word for zero, the number zero, is naught. So uh, as we have two zeros, we don't say zeroesies. It sounds even stranger. We say noughties, which sounds quite funny because it sounds like this decade was a very naughty time, which isn't necessarily the case. I don't think so. But now we have finished the 2010s or 2010s. Um, So I'm wondering if you were to look back, is there anything in particular that you think has defined the previous decade? It's definitely hard to think about while you are still in that decade or while it's quite recent. But maybe in uh, 20, 30 years from now, it'll be a little bit easier to look back and reminisce on what really made this time the time that it is, if that makes sense. So I picked out numerous resources to help me today in this discussion. Um, First and foremost, I found a Guardian article because as you may know by now, it is my favorite website for finding articles. I was looking through it with a student when I realized it would be a perfect discussion to have with you guys here today. And this article that I've picked is extremely long. 
And I do find it quite tedious when articles are quite so long because they are not storybooks. And I often find perhaps if they are so long, then perhaps the writer is not so good because they could have got their point across in a more concise way, which is usually the case. But uh, yeah, I find a lot of long articles. So what I did was I copied and pasted it into a document it came up to about 15 pages, as you can imagine, a lot. <laughs> but I'm just going to talk about a couple of the points that I highlighted here. Now, I often find with these lifestyle articles as well, the person who is writing it is usually very subjective in a way that is quite noticeable. So you can clearly see perhaps their opinion on the topic that they are discussing, if they are optimistic or pessimistic about the topic also. And in this case, uh, unfortunately, this guy seems to be very, very pessimistic. So I do apologize for that, but I am going to try and take the pessimism out of it <laughs> and give you um, my opinion on a few of the points that I highlighted and then we'll have a look at another resource. So let's go ahead, shall we? Now, the article I have chosen is titled this, The Age of Perpetual Crisis. How the 2010s disrupted everything, but resolved nothing. Well, already we can tell straight away from the title that this is a particularly pessimistic article. Um, I will try and link it in the transcript, but otherwise, if you search that what I just said, hopefully you'll be able to find it. Um, we have the word crisis here. Now, crisis is such a strong word. Uh, it's used to describe when everything is just going absolutely terribly, um, a time of intense uh, struggle or difficulty. Um, so we don't use it on a regular basis for sure, but this author has already started with the title and saying how uh, the 2010s disrupted everything but resolved nothing. Now uh, we have a everything and nothing right there. So if I have any Brazilian listeners, those two words are probably something that you might struggle with when it comes to double negatives. But um, essentially this title is just telling you that, yeah, they, they don't believe that the 2010s were a good year. And if we even just start reading the article, the word crisis is repeated multiple time in plural, which is pronounced slightly differently and it's quite strange. Uh, it's pronounced crises. We don't usually hear this word so often because usually we don't have multiple crises happening at the same time. So you might hear someone be a little bit dramatic and over the top and say, oh my gosh, it's an absolute crisis. But if you have multiple uh, of these crises <laughs> happening around a similar time, well, that's really dramatic and it, it sounds quite shocking to be honest. But they made sure to repeat this word several times, which already gives you an inclination of their opinion of this past decade. So the majority of the article is actually from a political standpoint, and it certainly starts that way at the very least, um, which makes sense to be honest, because I suppose Britain has been in the news this past year at least, but actually for a few years now regarding Brexit. So I think most of the time when people are talking about Britain or the UK, 
Brexit usually comes into conversation quite frequently. Uh, at least it does for me whenever I'm meeting new students, they often want to know my opinion on that situation. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get into Brexit today. I'm not sure I will ever get into Brexit because I don't live in the UK now, so I don't uh, feel like it is my place to comment on the political system so much. But um, of course, that has been a big thing in the news. It has caused a lot of disruption and anguish amongst the British population. And hence, that might be why they start by discussing politics so heavily in this particular article. So there are a couple sentences that I just want to highlight. The first one being, parties have hastily changed their leaders and policies. Sometimes their entire guiding philosophies. Now, of course, when we're talking about parties here, we're not talking about the ones where you eat lots of food and dance. We're talking about political parties. So they're saying uh, a lot of political parties have been switching and swatching who their leaders are, what their policies are, uh, essentially what the meaning of their party is. And I'm sure that is definitely the case for the British politicians because politics in the UK just does seem so messy right now that it's really confusing. Um, so this definitely applies to the UK, might apply to your country and some other countries. Um, and that's obviously not so good. We want uh, political parties to be strong in their mindset and their views so that we know when we are voting exactly what we are voting for. And then the article goes on to say the sheer turmoil of the 2010s has sometimes made what came before seemed distant and utterly different. So once again, we have quite a strong word here, the word turmoil. And turmoil has a, also a very negative meaning to mean um, a period of time or a state of maybe disaster or uh, disturbance, uncertainty, confusion, just a time when nobody's really sure what is happening, what's going on. And it's not a very clear situation, a, a very good situation that you would want to be in. So again, the writer does sound a little bit uh, pessimistic, of course, but they're just saying that the past 10 years have seemed very different to the previous 10 years before that, to the noughties decade. Um, I'm not so sure. I Again, I don't think I could personally distinguish between them that clearly. But um, they do mention not only British politics, but also American politics and, of course, Donald Trump. So the combination of these two uh, prominent countries, the UK and the USA, kind of having these political problems may have made the past 10 years seem a little bit more distinct and rough in comparison <laughs> to the years before. And I mean... I was a little bit younger, obviously, in the noughties decade, so I didn't pay any attention to political news back then. But I do feel like politics wasn't really such a hot topic. Of course, politics is always in the news, but I feel like with Brexit and with Donald Trump, they've definitely hit the headlines of the news a lot more frequently than previous politicians. Um, that might just be me because like I said, I, I didn't really pay much attention back then. But I feel like these, these two uh, particular cases have gained a lot of media attention, um, perhaps not for good reason. And so obviously when there is so much political upheaval, I suppose, then it can make it seem like 
it doesn't really look very good, I suppose. So yeah, I mean, I can understand why they started talking about this. But then they go on to talk about a few uh, different points, a few different facts. So the first one being, during the 2010s, the average life expectancy, which had been growing almost continuously for a century, stopped rising. I found this fact quite interesting because everybody is interested in how to live forever and a lot of people always seem very concerned (laughs) about their age. Also, I just don't think this fact is really solidified because we know that the life, average life expectancy in different countries varies a lot. Um, For example, I know Japanese people are perhaps known to live the longest and perhaps in more underdeveloped and developing countries, that number will be much lower. So to say that it has almost stopped completely uh, in terms of just rising, that's quite um, a big statement. And I don't know, I know so many people who are concerned with age, so I think that would (laughs) affect them a little bit or upset them a little bit. And it's quite interesting because I'm in the middle at the moment of watching a long YouTube video um, all about how to slow aging and possibly even reverse it based on some recent scientific experiments. So I'm really interested to finish watching that and see what I find out. Again, it's not something that concerns me, particularly because I'm quite young, but um, I know it concerns a lot of people, including a lot of my students. So I find it quite fascinating. The next fact that I highlighted is this. A million more children with working parents entered poverty. The number of people sleeping rough more than doubled. Well, actually, that's two facts there. (laughs) But again, both of them are very uh, sad, to be honest. So they're saying a million more children, um, I guess, in the UK um, have entered poverty. And I've seen a lot of facts in regards to this on my Facebook page because they recently had an election again in the UK. So people were sharing their political views and I saw some statistics regarding the amount of children in poverty in the UK, um, which included the fact that that number has risen. Uh, The same with the number of people sleeping rough. If you say somebody is sleeping rough, essentially, it means that they are homeless. They are sleeping on the streets. They are not sleeping comfortably, of course. So we say that they are sleeping rough. It's just another uh, way to say that someone is homeless. So they're saying the number of homeless people has more than doubled, which again, is just not something good, not something you want to hear. Both of those facts really suck. Let me know if you want me to go into more detail or discuss a little bit more about either of those because they are both very strong uh, issues, um, issues that I also like to discuss with my students in lessons. Again, there isn't anything positive in this article so far. So let's hope, let's hope we are about to find something good. I believe we are because they start to take a turn about halfway during the article and say to characterise the 2010s as one long crisis is too simple and bleak. So I'm happy that they not acknowledged that (laughs) their writing up to this point is quite bleak, which means quite dark and depressing. Well, the article goes on and takes a different turn talking about ways that people have tried to cope with perhaps uh, a more difficult time, a more difficult decade, perhaps financially for a large amount of people. So they say a coping mechanism is escape. 
possibly the most revealing leisure activity of the 2010s, is shutting yourself away with a TV series. Typically a drama set in another country or another era with an addictive, slowly resolved plot, many characters, elaborate settings, and enough episodes to allow for watching in binges. In an age of squeezed incomes, TV dramas are worlds you can explore on the cheap. So this whole uh, paragraph, this whole point is all about people in the UK watching TV series as a method of escapism or a coping mechanism to deal with perhaps their lives that might not be so uh, positive and easygoing. So it's always kind of been a fact that British people love TV. (laughs) You'll find a lot of uh, reality TV series in particular that are popular in America actually stemmed from and started in the UK. So they're often quite proud of some of their TV series such as uh, The Office, which is a type of sitcom, and many more types of reality TV shows such as maybe X Factor or One Born Every Minute or uh, First Dates and these reality TV shows all started in the UK. There are so many actually. So British people are actually pretty good at creating TV shows and ideas for TV and hence the amount of people that watch TV in the UK is also quite high. Um, I myself, as I probably mentioned multiple times, don't own a TV but I do watch uh, Netflix on my laptop Um, Nowadays we have Disney Plus, that's the newest thing of this year, (laughs) Disney Plus that has gained so much attention. I'm not sure it's available in every country yet though, it might just be America and Canada, but um, so many people including a lot of grown adults are very excited about this new streaming service Disney Plus. I'm not in particular but I do actually have access to it, so maybe I will watch it, I don't know, but yeah. I usually do watch a little bit of Netflix on my uh, laptop and I have been watching another British reality TV series called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So I suggest that you research that and if you can find a way to watch it, that would be quite funny. It's a reality TV series all about celebrities who are left in the Australian jungle to live for several days and they have to do lots of tasks and uh, gruel things such as eating different bugs and uh, having them thrown on them and poured on their head. So it's a form of entertainment I suppose. I try not to watch too much TV but I definitely have watched more TV this year than previous years. They also mention uh, something a little bit random. They say the sales of expensive fuel-guzzling SUVs, often with tinted windows, grew rapidly across the world during the 2010s. Drivers increasingly want to be raised above and sealed off from the street. I find this one in particular quite an interesting perspective because I know SUVs are quite rare in the UK. Very few people own an SUV. Um, I didn't think anyone owned an SUV, to be honest, until my last trip to London and I saw a couple people did indeed have one in their driveway. And and if you don't know, an SUV is uh, the larger type of vehicle, larger than a car. As you can see, the writer uses a few different phrases to describe them, such as fuel guzzling, 
which means they use up a lot of fuel or petrol, as we say in the UK. And they say that drivers want to be sealed off from the street. So they want to be disconnected. They don't want to have any contact with the environment around them when they are driving. Aside from, of course, the necessary (laughs) precautions such as obeying the traffic laws. And so that kind of gives you the British perspective of SUVs because they are definitely not popular over there. And with good reason because our roads are usually far too small to handle such a large vehicle. It's definitely not a good idea. The roads are just much, much smaller than over here in North America. But I do like this idea of being raised above... (laughs) the street um, and kind of sealed off from the street. And I understand it because when you're in in an SUV or a larger vehicle, it does feel like you have this protective bubble around you. And I think in North America, that's particularly important because people drive so crazy over here, in my opinion. The roads are so big. I just think it's so dangerous to drive on the roads here that having that kind of protective bubble does feel quite comforting when you're driving on the roads here. Whereas if you were to just drive in a regular sized car, it does feel a little bit more unsafe, I suppose is the best way to say it. So yeah, you can see just a differing opinion right there between British and American mindsets. And then perhaps my favorite part of this article is that they go on to mention the Great British Bake Off, which is definitely probably my favorite British TV series at the moment. I made sure to watch it this year as well. So they said this first broadcast in 2010 and it made cooking with lots of carbs, which is carbohydrates and sugar respectable again. (laughs) So this is just such a popular TV series in the UK. And again, I highly, highly recommend it if you're looking for a TV series to watch in English, The Great British Bake Off. I just love it. If you like cakes and sweet things, then hopefully you will like it too. So yeah, I'm very happy that they paid honorage to this TV show and that they mentioned it. And then they go on to talk about the clothes and the fashion from this past decade. And I think, again, this is just something that is very defining for a decade because we often can see the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they all had different fashion styles um, and even the noughties too. But they said for the 2010s, clothing uh, became more cocooning, which included enormous puffer jackets, scarves the size of small blankets, fleeces and woolly hats. In comparison, they said the noughties, the clothes were leaner, more formal, including tight suits, skinny trousers, as if people expected to seize new exciting opportunities or work in offices, (laughs) which is quite funny. So they go on to say that they think that we choose to wear these more comforting, cocooning outfits um, to... uh, suit the kind of work that is available to us now. They think a lot of the work is outdoor work. I don't agree with this, but I am very happy that the clothing that we have is more on the comfortable side because who doesn't like to be comfortable? Obviously, I'm pregnant right now, so I love wearing jogging bottoms because they are so comfortable. But now, as I'm in my 20s, I definitely favor comfort over style or fashion, which I probably cared about a bit more in my late teens. 
And then the next point I think is perhaps the most accurate, in my opinion. They say another way to cope with the 2010s has been to work obsessively on yourself. From the 1950s to the 1990s, being young in the West was often associated with lounging around or rebelling or living for the moment. But in the 2010s, being young often means relentlessly working and studying, polishing your public persona and keeping fit. I love, 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 love this point because it's a topic that I discuss very frequently um, with my students, particularly in the past year. And it comes up so often because it seems to be something that my students are very interested in. They're very interested in self-development. I don't think I've spoken about self-development here on the podcast before. I'm sure I will do a whole episode dedicated to that and uh, share different resources and my opinion on it. But it seems to be something definitely that young people, particularly in their 20s and 30s, are interested in. They're interested in improving their career, interested in becoming fitter, interested in improving their mental health. And these are all great, great, great things, of course. Trying to improve yourself and become a better person is great. However, when you put it the way that they have that you are working obsessively on yourself perhaps it does make it sound a little bit more negative because everybody deserves a break (laughs) from time to time and perhaps we shouldn't be so harsh on ourselves and judge ourselves so harshly in that we are just constantly striving for improvement and maybe just not giving ourselves the credit that we are due and really appreciating what we have already. So I can definitely see the two sides of this. I think it's something that is quite interested in, um, particularly because it's quite a popular topic. So I think I'll have to get into that uh, a little bit more in the future. And in addition to that, they said um, new technology devices for collecting personal data, such as the Fitbit tracker, which went on sale in 2010, means that this self-optimization can be measured and compared with the efforts of others as never before. So yeah, I think the sale of fitness trackers, you know, those trackers that you wear on your wrist, like watches to count your steps, count the calories you lost in the day, uh, check your heartbeat and your sleep are very, very trendy at the moment. I know many people who have one of them. I don't have one because I'm not particularly interested in fitness so much (laughs) but uh in the new year I do hope to try and improve my fitness a little bit even just by doing some simple exercise like walking so I have considered getting one for myself just so I can track my progress um even if it's just something as simple as counting steps so yeah I wonder if any listeners here have one I'm sure at least someone who is listening has one of these fitness trackers Aside from this, I noticed that the article does pay homage to different movements that have taken place in the previous decade, such as the Me Too movement, which everybody, I will assume, knows about, and also the Extinction Rebellion, which was a movement particularly uh, in the UK, but it was widespread regarding climate change. So you may have seen quite a lot of protests recently in the news regarding climate change, particularly for the previous year, I would say. Um, So I'm not going to speak too much in detail about those because I feel like they are just whole other topics in themselves. So I'm now going to move to a different article and we'll see what they had to say about the previous 10 years. 
So the next article is titled, The 10 Things That Defined the 2010s. I think all 10 of these ideas are super interesting. So number one is streaming culture. And what it means by that is uh, things like Netflix or Amazon Prime, where people are now watching TV through their laptops or just through a streaming service on their TV itself. And I think this has just become so popular. I know many people, especially around my age, who don't like watching TV anymore, but they love streaming programs through these services. And although it doesn't mention this in the article, when I think of streaming culture, I also think of uh, websites such as Twitch, which have become so popular in the last 10 years, especially for gamers who want to create videos of them playing games and build a community. Um, Twitch has just taken off so, so fast and it's used by so many big gamers, including ones you can find on YouTube. And I don't know if you've heard of this YouTuber, but there's a YouTuber called Mr. Beast and he sometimes finds streamers on that platform and will just randomly donate money to them. Like he'll just randomly give them a thousand dollars and things like that. He's a little bit crazy. He has a lot of money to give away, which is amazing. And he seems like a genuinely nice guy because he's always doing these things to try and help people out. Um, But I'm sure that also has definitely helped the platform because people want money so they probably just go on there in the hopes that Mr. Beast will stumble across their content. Point number two is going green. So they say that drastic measures have been taken to reduce waste like the ban of plastic straws which is a hazard to the ocean and the environment. So again I could definitely see this like I said there have been a lot of climate related protests in recent years But um, speaking to students around the world, I know the situation is different in every country, but I find a lot of countries at least have a recycling scheme in place now. Um, Something that might seem quite simple if you've already had it for some time. For example, in the UK, it feels like we've been recycling for such a long time, whereas I know there are countries that are only just starting to do this. And things like they said, banning of plastic straws, I haven't seen this everywhere, but there are a lot of restaurants that offer paper straws and uh, I think on a larger scale is kind of like the charging of plastic bags. So in most shops now, it's not free to get a plastic bag. You usually have to pay a very small fee, like five pence, 10 pence or five cents, something like that. Um, in the UK, again, we've had this for some time and it's, I think it's been pretty effective. Canada has just started to do that this year. So it's one of the countries that's just starting to do it. But I found from my students also that um, this is a strategy that has taken place in their country. For number three, they have going viral and they made sure to point out that they don't mean about getting sick because often when we say the word viral or particularly virus, we mean to be sick. Um, but no, going viral means getting many, many views, many, many comments online, on YouTube videos, on Facebook posts, Instagram posts, things like that, usually in a very short amount of time. They gave example of a few kind of challenges that went viral. For example, there was the ice bucket challenge 
that was to raise money for the ALS Foundation. I'm not sure if you guys um, heard about that, but it was very, very popular, uh, I think, in 2014. And lots of people threw buckets of ice over their heads to help raise money for this charity, which was really amazing. Um, 2014 seems like such a long time ago now, but I remember I also did this ice bucket challenge. Um, it would be funny if I could find that video, but yeah. <laughs> and also they say um, a mannequin challenge. And I don't really remember the mannequin challenge, but I think it was quite big. Uh, so when people stand really still and there is a song playing in the background. I know there are a lot of like flash mobs, but I don't know if that's from the past 10 years. And that's just what it reminds me of is like flash mobs when everybody just freezes in public and then starts dancing like in a train station or something. Those are pretty cool, but I don't know if they're particularly from the previous decade. Number four is the rise of smartphones. It's interesting, I've had a couple students say that they think in the past uh, decade, in their country in particular, the amount of people with smartphones has greatly risen. I didn't really notice it so much. Maybe in the UK already they had become quite popular, but I guess Maybe before 2010, there was a large amount of people who had smartphones, but now that amount is even larger and now everybody has a smartphone. It's very unlikely that you wouldn't have a smartphone. And maybe even in uh, more developing countries, you can find that people have smartphones, which might seem quite unusual if you compare it to the previous decade. And I really like this quote. They say, smartphones have taken a lot of important aspects of everyday life and combined them into a single device. Your smartphone is your camera, it's your photo album, it's your mp3 player, your wallet, your credit card, your flashlight, your map, it's so much more. And really when we really do consider how many different things we can access and do from our phone, it does sound quite amazing considering we couldn't do that all those things before. And I guess that's just why people use their phones so much. I don't think people even use their phones so much for calling. I think today's generation actually hates talking on the phone, <laughs> but obviously they still use it for texting, but even more so probably to use all the different apps that are available on there. Number five is Instagram. Apparently it only launched in 2010. I thought it was older than that. When it started, you could only upload like little square photos and now there's just so much more. You can upload videos and stories and message people, um, video call people. It has all the kind of features that you would expect from a good app these days and I don't know. Instagram is just so successful. I think when it started I was a bit apprehensive like ah, is this cool? Is this gonna really take off? But it definitely did. And I, I still love Instagram today. I am not like a huge social media person but I use Instagram like every single day. I don't really use any other platforms. Instagram is definitely my favorite and I like it for many reasons. Due to Instagram as well, we've come across these influencers. So lots of people who have large followings might be celebrities, but there are also a lot of kind of Instagram influencers where they've just built their following through the platform. Sometimes I wonder if I'm classed as an influencer because I do have over 20,000 followers now on Instagram. So maybe back in 2010, I would have been considered to be an influencer. But nowadays people just have such large followings that, I mean, I'm not an influencer, I'm just a teacher. So that's how I see it. But I'm happy that I can influence people and help them with their English. Number six, they have superhero movies. So I guess superhero movies have been pretty big. It says since 2010, 
Marvel and DC have released a total of 48 superhero movies. So I guess they've been super successful. Personally, I don't like superhero movies, to be honest. Um, I know I have a lot of students who love superhero movies, but they're just not for me. I don't find them very interesting. Maybe I should give them a chance. Let me know if you think I should give them a chance, because I haven't really seen many, I guess, but they just don't appeal to me, but I guess they've been very popular. And then they do give a mention as number seven to the music, hip-hop, and R&B. I feel like the noughties were also comprised of hip-hop and R&B. I don't know if there's been a distinct difference between noughties music and the 2010s music, but they mentioned that platforms such as TikTok help to push the different hip-hop music and rappers to the top. So I don't know, I, I haven't used the app TikTok before. I know it's quite popular, but I don't think it's something that I would do. I haven't downloaded it. I don't know much about it, but I know it's super popular and people love to dance and things to different songs. So it makes sense. <laughs> Number eight is quite funny. They put political Twitter. And I think if you know, then you know that Donald Trump has a large following on Twitter and he also posts on a daily, more so hourly basis, which is a little bit insane <laughs> because I don't think we could ever have imagined a politician, especially a president, posting on Twitter so often. But not only does he post on Twitter, he posts things that are quite shocking and outrageous because you would expect a politician or a president to perhaps only post things politically related, related to uh, any changes in the government, I suppose, any updates related to the politics at hand. Donald Trump kind of likes to take it one step further and um, he's quite good at insulting a lot of people, I would say. And definitely it's, it's almost kind of funny if you try to read his tweets, but actually just really disheartening and embarrassing in my opinion. So I've been on his Twitter account maybe two or three times just to scroll through while having this conversation with students in lesson and I cringe so much. I can only do that for a few minutes before I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't look at this any longer. <laughs> Number nine's a pretty sad one actually. Number nine is mass shootings, which yeah, that's definitely a, a turn for the worse in this list. And something that I think is very applicable to America, because I think that's where the attention has been, obviously, regarding their gun laws. Um, it's a very complex matter, not something that I want to get too involved with, because obviously it's not directly affecting me, but I know that it really, really sucks. My dad lives in America, and he doesn't live in a huge city, but I guess it's a slightly larger city. And... Ever since he's lived there, he says every week just so many people get shot, so many innocent people get killed. But obviously there have been like some more mass shootings in schools and things, which is just absolutely terrible. And they give a few examples such as the Aurora Movie Theater, Las Vegas Strip, Texas Baptist Church, and Majority Stoneman Douglas High School. So I guess it's just something that really became a regular topic in the news. So it's very, very sad. I guess in the UK and in Canada, it isn't such a big topic because we don't have guns. And then finally, number 10 is the legalization of same-sex marriage. 
Now, I'm sure every one of you who is listening right now has their own opinion on this topic, and I'm not really going to get into it too much, but the point that they wanted to make was that uh, the 2010s were the decade in which the United States and many other countries legalized same-sex marriage, which is true, definitely, and um, a complete success for people in this community. But of course, the LGBTQ plus community is still fighting for equality in many other countries and also in many other areas, such as for people who are transgender or known as gender non-conforming. So it's quite a complex and long battle. And maybe not every one of you agree with it, but it is kind of seen to be a human right. So they have been given rights, which they didn't previously have. And um, I think we can only see that as a good thing, to be honest. So that was the top 10 list from that article, quite drastically different from the last one. A lot more optimistic things or uh, a bit more of an optimistic point of view. But overall, I don't think the 2010s have been so bad. I think they've been amazing. And um, particularly for me, 10 years, it's a long time. Uh, I have definitely developed a lot as a person in that time and had so many things happen to me, so many experiences that I am just so, so grateful for. And so I'm just so excited (laughs) to enter into this new year. Let me know if you're excited. I asked on my Instagram page uh, what you guys have achieved in 2019 because I posted some of my personal achievements or business-related achievements. So it was kind of cool to read all your messages and see what you guys achieved. But I think I'll also post a question on there to see what your goals are for 2020 or what you hope will happen or what you hope to achieve also. So that's it from me here on Tea and Chat today. Next week, we will have our final student interview of the year. Actually, only our second student interview. (laughs) But I really look forward to you guys hearing that. It's with another wonderful, wonderful student. So make sure to stay tuned for that final episode of Tea and Chat for 2020. And until then, goodbye.